this week I listened to an interesting podcast uh, that said, really, governments and nations worldwide are seriously concerned about the drop in fertility rate that uh, people are not having enough kids to sustain the nation. Uh, And the thrust of, of, of what I was saying was that COVID, one of the positive things that came out of COVID restrictions was that that has changed, at least for that here, uh, that uh, Americans have used, have, have, have not wasted the COVID restrictions, is what, he, what was being said. Now, having a, 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 a proper fertility rate, having children really communicates uh, a hope in the future that we believe that there is a future that we believe there is hope for the future and really it's also especially for for those who are Christians uh, it is really following the commandment of the Lord uh, the mandate that he gave us to be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth uh, now this morning we want to we obviously in our church we don't have that problem um, we are very grateful to the Lord for all the young families that we have and uh, that we celebrate. And, and this morning we want to look at really what, uh, how do we build a, a godly family, a family that, that honors God. And, and as with everything, um, whether it's baking or building, uh, we need either a recipe or a plan. Now, some of you are in, that are very skilled uh, in, the, in the kitchen you can get away with maybe tweaking the recipes a little bit here and there, and it still tastes uh, okay. Uh, same with building. Um, if you have a great skill, you have a sense of what to do and how to do it, and hopefully the building is not too shonky or wonky when, when you're done. But when it comes to building a godly family, we need to make sure that we stay with the plan. We, we follow the blueprint that God has, has given us. And, and I want to turn your attention to Psalm 127, uh, a psalm that, that Solomon wrote. Um, perhaps he penned this psalm meditating on God's promises to his father David in the Davidic covenant, that David wanted to build God a temple, but God did not allow him but instead, God promised that he would build a house for David, a dynasty, so to speak, and that from him he will raise a descendant who will establish his kingdom forever and who will build a house for God. And of course, we read of this in Second Samuel chapter 7. Verse 11, and this is uh, the prophet Nathan's word to David. The Lord also declared to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now Solomon, David's son, 
was the one who followed David uh, to, to the throne, and he was also the one who built a temple for God. And he was the first in the promised line of descent, which ultimately culminated in Jesus, the everlasting king, and the one who built his church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so Solomon, who also wrote Ecclesiastes, um, declares really that all things are vanity, all things are in vain, they are useless unless God is in it, unless we do it for God and to the glory of God according to His will and His ways. And, and really Psalm 129 is a reminder for us of the importance of God's involvement in whatever we attempt to do. Um, it is interesting to note that the, the city of Edinburgh in, in Scotland had, has a, as its motto, Nisi Dominus Frusta, which translates as, without the Lord, frustration. Um, and uh, that was derived from Psalm 127, verse 1. A very true and accurate statement and motto. But this morning, I want to use this psalm and really apply it to us in building godly families. So let me read for us Psalm 127 and before we continue. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with the enemies in the gate. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we, we come to you in need of your grace, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the ministry of your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. We thank you that your word was inspired by the Spirit, Lord, and it is illuminated by your Spirit to us. It is implanted in our hearts by your Spirit. And we pray, Lord, that as we are filled with your Spirit, that it will bear fruit in our lives. To the glory of your name we pray. Amen. And so first of all, to build a godly family, we need to build dependent on the Lord. And secondly, we need to build descendants for God. Um, first of all, building. Build depending on the Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And so there's basically two, two potential meanings of, the, of this. The, the building of the temple is a very plausible meaning. So that, that uh, Solomon had that in mind. And of course, this was a psalm of ascent. One of the psalms that was sung by pilgrims who came to worship um, the Lord at the temple, and on the steps leading up to the temple, they would stop and sing one of these psalms. And so 
That could be that, uh, that Solomon had that in mind. Also another interpretation, he says that uh, it refers to the building of a family. Uh, that, uh, that word can also be translated as to obtain or to have children. Uh, the house here can refer to a family. And that is what I want to bring us out for us today, that application. And so first and foremost, we need to then look at, at our family and says, unless the Lord builds our marriages, our family, we labor in vain. It is futile. It will amount to nothing, at least not what we have hoped for or something that would bring honor to God unless we build, unless we involve the Lord. And the question is obviously, how do we do that? How, how does the Lord build our house? How does the Lord build my marriage? How does the Lord build my family? Of course, the answer is simple. It's to follow His commandments. Uh, to do as, follow the plan, the blueprint that He has given us. Um, and He has given us a, a blueprint for marriage. We see back in Genesis where the Lord really give us the, what marriage is, that it is a, a union between one man or one husband, which is a man, and one wife, which is a woman, uh, to be one for life. Uh, Genesis 2, 24 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And Jesus of course, many centuries later, when, when asked about marriage and divorce, he quoted this Genesis 2.24. And then he adds, And so they shall no longer be two, but one flesh. And whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. And so the blueprint of God for, for marriage is a lifelong commitment between a husband and a wife. Um, and... Uh, that is God's definition of marriage. That is His building plan, uh, the blueprint. And any other idea on that will only bring heartache, pain, and frustration. And so the goal for, for marriage is, of course, always, as all things, it is to glorify God. Uh, our marriage needs to glorify God. And He is glorified in our marriage, as I said, when we fulfill His plans and His purposes for marriage as He ordained it. Um, and really, marriage was given to mankind to fulfill His mandate. Also back in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and, every, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So that is sometimes what is called the cultural mandate. That is what man is called to do, to, to rule over the world in God's place. But in Genesis 2, which gives us a little bit more detailed account of creation, and particularly the sixth day of creation, we read that Adam was created first. And then we also read that it was not good for him to be alone. 
Why? Well, because he could not fulfill this mandate by himself. And so he looked at all the animals that God has created and could not find a suitable helper for him. And so God created Eve. And together they would fulfill what Adam could not do by himself. And so God purposed marriage to be this, this wonderful union of a husband and a wife committed to one another for life. And that oneness speaks of a, a wonderful intimate companionship, first of all. That is the sharing of life together. Sharing life as we seek to fulfill this mandate. Sharing the life and the laughter, the good and the bad, health and sickness, and you, you know the... The, the promise that many make on that day. Uh, it's really the privilege to do life together with someone, to know someone like you would never know anyone else on this earth. You've been given the privilege to know someone intimately. And that brings with it immense joy and this intimate companionship. It's also a comprehensive partnership, really the working together, filling each other up where the one is weak, the other one is strong, and vice versa. And really, it's, it's all working together to make this plan of God come to fruition. So it's an intimate companionship, it's a comprehensive partnership, therefore we share our lives, we, we, we share our highs and our lows and our struggles and our ambitions and all of that uh, we share with one another. And of course when we come to the New Testament with Jesus and His love for the church, uh, He says that marriage is really a portrait of the gospel, that it pictures the love that Christ has for His bride, the church. And that the church submits to Him as the head over the church. And so that picture is, is brought into marriage. Marriage is, a, is an example of that. That the husband is the head of the house and he ought to love his wife as Christ loves the church. I mean, if that does not put fear in you, I don't know what will, because who can live up to that? Um, but by God's grace, we are helped to do that, to, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Um, and um, so husbands, we are to love their wives, care for their wives, lead their wives, as Christ loved the church, cares for the church, leads the church. And wives are to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. They are to honor their husbands as the church is to honor Christ. They are to follow their husbands as the church follows Christ. And of course, this is given to us in Ephesians 5, chapter 22 to 33. And so, to build a house which is dependent on God and which will bring Him glory and which will result in a godly family is to follow God's blueprint. 
both in its methods and its motives, according to His ways and in a way that is pleasing to Him. Then the Lord is building the house. When we choose our own way, we labor in vain. Your family will never be a God-glorifying family unless you build it on God's blueprint. It'll never be the, the joyous union of love, the joyous companionship, the cooperation and commitment that is necessary unless we follow God's plan. And so this, of course, this principle can be applied to really all and any endeavor that we take on, whether that is we can apply to, our, to, the, to the church. Uh, Jesus says, He will build His church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it, but let us build on Him the foundation and let us use gold, silver and precious stones rather than wood, hay and stubble because using the latter will result in you standing empty-handed before the Lord where your work have not survived the judgment by fire. And so in the next number of weeks, we will look specifically at the household of God, the church, in a little study that we'll do through, through the book of Titus. But so, first of all, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Unless we follow God's blueprint for us in our marriage, we labor in vain. It will not bring glory to God and very often not bring joy to ourselves. Secondly, it goes on, in, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, ancient cities had, of course, walls and, and watchtowers, and they would have watchmen keeping watch against enemies uh, to keep them from sneaking into the city and to plunder and to destroy. Uh, and the Lord, uh, Solomon writes here that unless the Lord helps us in that, unless we, we seek the Lord's help in doing that, we watch in vain. How foolish it is to build something and then not to guard that. And so if we build our marriages not to guard our marriages and not to depend on Him to help us in that, many a marriage, many a child, many a ministry has been lost because the watchman did not stay awake and guard against the coming enemy and did not look to God for their protection. And so we, our, our responsibility is to put up the moral fences around our marriage, to guard against the flirtations of the seductress, the temptations of the internet, the enticements and the allurements of the new, the exciting, the forbidden. Do that. And protect your children against the evil, the evil influences that seeks to use them and abuse them, that will alienate and destroy them. The ungodly influences coming from godless people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, who walks in impurity, pursuing the lust of their hearts, their degrading passions, their depraved thinking. We need to be active in that. We need to protect 
our children and our families and ourselves, our marriages against that. We need to be on our guard for our church against false believers and false teachers. But we can guard as diligently as and vigilantly as we can. But unless we look to the Lord, unless we depend on Him, we guard in vain. God needs to be intimately involved in our plans. We need to guard what He has entrusted to us and guard it in the way that He desires us to guard it with His involvement, with our dependence on Him. And we have the assurance that He who keeps and He who protects us never sleep and never slumbers. Solomon goes on in Verse 2, it is vain for you to rise up early and to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Verse 1 taught us how to build our families on, on uh, the blueprint of God, how that we should guard our families depending or dependent on the Lord. And here in verse 2, he basically tells us that all of our labor, all of our actions involved in that, if they are independent of the Lord, it is vanity. It is empty, useless. It only leaves us tired, troubled. For you work as hard as you can, and yet you can't seem to make any progress. You can't seem to get ahead. You eat the bread of anxious toil, meaning you, you have some reward for your labor, but it is filled with anxiety, with fears. It is, I'm concerned about what is going to happen. Uh, I don't know the future. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm afraid. And you're trying to look out for any and every potential threat that may come your way. And so you are anxious. You stay up, up all night worrying about these things. And the psalmist says, if you do your work dependent on the, on the Lord, if you look to the Lord, if you trust the Lord to provide, to care, then you can work resting in Him, depending on Him. And He will give you sleep. He will give you peace. You will sleep sweet sleep, anxious free sleep. And some translations uh, translate this as God gives His beloved even in His sleep. And I think the more accurate translation is that it just says God gives His beloved sleep. Because the wisdom literature really is full of exhortations for us to be diligent and hardworking. Uh, and it, but it speaks against uh, slothfulness, laziness. Uh, but here, the psalmist, I don't think he's speaking out against hard and diligent work, but speak against hard and diligent work without trust and dependence on, on, on God. And so it means really that we need to plan the work and then work the plan uh, according to God's blueprint, faithfully and diligently, and then rest in His sovereign provision he will provide, He will build, He will protect. And those who know Him, those who trust Him to do what only He can do, they can 
rest and stop and cease to try and accomplish what is beyond them through their own works. Matthew 6 reminds us, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so we need to seek to live for Him and by Him, for His glory and by His will, His ways, His commandments. And that way, when we build our family, we build our family depending on God, trusting Him, following Him, involving Him. We will build godly families. Failing to do so would lead to dishonoring God and often trouble for ourselves. And so that's the first aspect, is building uh, godly families is to build dependent on the Lord. And secondly, it says we need to build descendants for God, or godly descendants, if you like. Verse 3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And God's provision here is seen through the gift of children. And that's the first thing we need to highlight is that children are a gift from God. Uh, children are a heritage from God. They are a blessing from God, given to us by God. And we should never lose sight of that fact. Children are born into the exact family God wanted them to be. And you and I, we are our parents' heritage, their legacy, a witness and testimony to them, even long after they may have been gone. And often people would say uh, of, of you, if they've known your parents, no, ah, the apple does not fall far from the tree, does it? Or the chip of the old block, so to speak. Um, so children are a heritage. Um, they are the fruit of the womb, a reward, a gift. And therefore, we need to treasure our children. They are valuable. They are gifts from God, which parents need to value, given the privilege and the responsibility of raising them for the Lord. It's in that sense that really having children is being entrusted with a stewardship. A stewardship to transform them into godly arrows. Um, but before we continue and expand that a little bit, let me, let me just go back one step back to the previous point. It is important for us to remember that children are not or do not make up the core unit of the family. It is the husband and the wife. That is the core unity or unit of a family. Children are a fruit of that union. And fruit are part of the tree, but they are not the tree. 
they are always there to be harvested. They will always leave the tree. Well, that's God's intention anyway. Uh, the point I'm driving at is that the central part to your family is your relationship with your husband and your wife. So men, your wife is the most important person in your family, not the children. Wives, this is normally harder for you, your husband is the most important person in your family, not the children. I know this is, <laughs> I know this is difficult for wives uh, because God has made you to have a very strong maternal instinct to nurture and to care and you are obviously physically and emotionally very involved in having children and raising them up and, and so it is uh, harder for, for, for wives to do that or for mothers to do that. But we must retain the right perspective that in God's blueprint for marriage or for family is that a husband and the wife are the core unit of a family. And the greatest gift that you can give to your children is to love one another, to care for one another, and let them see you do that. It gives them a great assurance, great security if they see mom and dad loves each other. They are committed to one another. And so in raising godly descendants, we need to understand that children are a gift, a stewardship, which we have been entrusted for a time being. They will always leave. They are meant to leave. They are meant to leave their mother and their father to be joined to their spouse and to become another family unit. That is how God structure it. But it says that our children should be really arrows, godly arrows. Children here are described as arrows in, a, in, a, in the hands of a warrior. And the idea here is, is that when children grow up, the children of our youth, when they grow up, they will help their parents, they will help uh, provide for them in their, in their old age, they will protect them uh, when, when help is need. And the psalmist used this picture of war really, Children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior, weapons that are used both in attack or defense. And so let's just talk a little bit about arrows. I mean, an ancient warrior would use his arrow or would make sure that his arrows are ready for use when he needs to. And so he would meticulously take care of that arrow so to ensure that it flies straight and be an effective weapon. And so the tip needs to be sharpened and well secured. The stiff need to be the shaft needs to be straight and stiff. The, the flights need to be strong and smooth. And any of that lacking, and the arrow will not fly straight. It will not be true. It will make it really useless. As an, as, an, as, an, as an weapon for the warrior. And our children are like little arrows, Solomon says here. And for us to build a godly family, we need to have godly arrows. And that takes a lot of hard work to get our arrows battle ready. It takes a lot of time and effort 
to prepare our children for life, to produce godly arrows that you can shoot with confidence into life, knowing that they are well prepared. And that takes constant, consistent, careful discipline and instruction. Deuteronomy 6 reminds us of that and tells us that we should teach our children diligently, teach them about the Lord and His ways diligently. You shall talk with them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. That sounds to me like pretty much all the time. So every situation can be used as a teaching tool, as a tool to instruct, to point to the Lord, to help them see their dependence on the Lord, and also to show them what is pleasing to Him. And so raising godly arrows really takes effort. But again, how do we do that? God has given us a blueprint. So just following Ephesians 5 we and Ephesians 6, we have the blueprint of what we should do with our children. If you, if you want to turn there to Ephesians chapter 6, Verse 1 through to 4, it says there, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so here we have really a blueprint of what we ought to, to do in raising our children. The first thing is we read here is that children ought to obey their parents. And as you probably discovered, they do not do this freely or willingly. Uh, they need to be taught that. You need to teach them to obey you. And if you don't do it, who's going to do it? They need to obey you in the Lord, within the will and within the ways of the Lord. And they need to honor you. They need to respect you. So it's not only obeying you, but it is how they obey you. That is also important in a way that is respectful. And so to craft godly arrows, you need to teach them to obey you. That You need to teach them respect. Respect for you as their parent. They were given to you by God to be raised on His behalf. And you need to teach them about Him. You need to teach, instruct and discipline them because God commanded you to. And your children need to understand that they need to respect that authority. They need to obey that authority. Your authority comes to you from God. It is a delegated authority. And disobeying parents is, in a sense, disobeying God. 
Allowing them to disobey you is allowing them to disobey this command. Children, obey your parents. Children, honor your parents. And so children need to be taught discipline and honor. But also, it is important in the manner of how we do that. We should not exasperate our children in the process, as Colossians 3.21 says. Or here it says, do not provoke them. And we provoke them when we parent them not in the character of Christ. When we do not teach them His will and do not do so in His way, His manner. Failure to do that is what will exasperate your children. And so we need to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And there is so much that needs to be said about that. So much so that we are going to have a children's or a parent class starting this afternoon. Um, because it's, it's, it's a huge area. And it really comes down to discipleship. It is as Christ have discipled you... You now disciple your children. But we'll leave it at that. And again, this will take an immense effort, a constant effort, a diligent effort. But I would fail in my duty if I do not warn you that growing godly arrows or producing godly arrows needs to be done in the context of God's plan for marriage. You must invest a lot of time in your children. But not at the expense of investing time in each other. That arrow will always be shot from your hand. They are meant to leave. And what is left in your hand is the bow, your marriage. And so we need to take care and pay attention to the bow, so to speak. Um, and that means husband, love your wife. Wife, follow your husband. And if you fail to or neglect to love and care and cherish each other, and you invest, invest all your relational capital into your children, the day when you shoot them, the day when they leave, you will look at the person next to you and ask, who are you? I don't even know you. And so many marriages break up after the kids leave home. Why? Because all the love and attention has been given exclusively to the children. Mothers and fathers have devoted themselves to their children at the expense of loving each other. Verse 5 reads, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. And so children are a gift from, from God. 
And really in the time of the psalm was penned, many children, especially for in a male-dominant society, uh, strong sons was a, was a huge blessing because uh, they were able to obviously to provide for the family through their labors, but also they form great security and support for, for their family in, in cases of dispute. And so at the city gate, this was where a lot of the business transactions and even, even um, disputes were settled, um, where you would bring your case to one another, and then that will be determined by, really by the elders of the, of the city. Uh, and a man who had many sons really had a, had a strong security in such a situation. And of course, the sons can come to their father's aid when things go out of hand. Now, our, our legal system does not quite work that way, but the, but the man who has raised godly children would not be put to shame by the accusations of an enemy. Why? Because of the testimony of his children's character and conduct. God is the one who gives children, and they are witnesses to their parents, to their parents' devotion to Christ, to their skill and steadfast stewardship of them as, as raising them up in the ways of the Lord, raising them up to fear God, to put their trust in God, and to walk in the ways that are pleasing to the Lord. Those who are not given to dissipation, that is reckless immoral behavior, nor rebellion, that is to be disobedient or undisciplined, resisting those in authority over them. And so such godly arrows served as great witnesses to the character of their parents, really as witnesses, uh, as an offense to, to promote the interests of, of their parents through their godly behavior, but also as a, as a means of defending their parents with any accusation level against them, saying that their children make credible witnesses because they have been raised as godly children. And so, in conclusion, this morning, the Lord calls us to build godly families, families that are dependent on the Lord. And that means husbands and wives follow the Lord's blueprint for marriage. Families trust and rely on God. Involve God in your lives. Look to Him for your provision. Trust Him and look for Him for His protection. And seek to craft godly arrows using God's Word. We as parents know that our children are gifts from God. They are a stewardship. So prepare them well for life. Craft them to be godly. Godly descendants, godly children, godly arrows that fly straight and true and who is a testimony, really, to you as a parent in the way that they are raised. It sounds like an impossible task. And if the Lord was not in it, it would be. But He is the one who gives us the grace to do that. And so as we walk with the Lord, daily abiding in Him, with a life saturated with the gospel, the realization that we don't measure up 
to this standard, we are not able unless we are enabled by the Lord. When we have the humility to ask the Lord to help us daily and to love Christ by following His plans and His purposes, His blueprint for our families. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your mercy. Lord, thank you that you blessed us, Lord, with a life mate, Lord, if that is your will. And for those who have life mates, Lord, that we would seek to build our marriage on your blueprint. Following your will and your ways that will bring honor to you and, and joy to ourselves. And Lord, that as we seek to raise children, and you have blessed us and our families in this church, Lord, with many wonderful young children. Lord, each a blessing from you, each a gift from you. And Lord, each given to the exact family that you have purposed. Purpose that they would be a blessing, a blessing of sanctification, a blessing of joy, Lord, and, and a privilege of, of stewarding them to maturity. And so, Lord, give us the grace and the strength to involve you in our marriage and in our parenting. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.